one of the highlights of, of uh, our year as a family is uh, spending um, a week or more um, on the coast of Maine. And we were there um, the early, the uh, latter half of the uh, month of June. And as I was uh, leading in prayer around the table, um, I found myself praying um, spontaneously uh, more, uh, several times, many times. Um, Thank you, Lord, for this place. And thank you, Lord, for these precious people. And thank you that we can be here um, with you. You see, the coast of Maine is beautiful and the lupins are plump uh, in the month of June. Uh, The seafood, of course, is exquisite and wonderful. Uh, But this is a place that we go to be with one another. Uh, We all long for it. And God draws us there in part also um, to celebrate Him. I found myself praying this time and time again. It has struck me that this is a faint picture of what it is to long to be home with God. Uh, I'll be reading Psalm 84 in just a moment. Uh, Derek Kidner um, titles this uh, The Pull of Home. And think of that as we, as we read it. There is, uh, we have God, uh, that I am His and He is mine. But we are also longing each day for faith to turn to sight. For faith in God to give way to seeing the glorious face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we read this psalm, you'll notice uh, that there are three sections. There is, first of all, in the opening sections, there is is a longing for God. A longing for God alone, verses 1 through 4. We are secondly satisfied with God on our journey home, taking such delight in Him that on the difficult journey to be with Him in person, uh, we are satisfied along that way. And then finally, to be able to live then content in this place while we wait for that blessed time. Let's listen uh, to this psalm then. Um, Consider uh, we are delighting in God, longing for God, and and we are satisfied in God, and we are growing in our contentment in God. Let's, Let's read Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints, For the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. 
Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The flowers fade, the grass falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. We long for God. The psalmist says here that we long for his dwelling place, that it is lovely to us. And it is lovely because God himself is lovely. How is it that we often think about God? We know him to be sovereign. We know him to be holy and righteous. We know him to be our father. We know him to be perfect. And yet in the back of our minds, even though we know him to be merciful, we also think of him also as as measuring us in accordance with our failures. Our own consciences often condemn us and we can slide into thinking that there is a a hint of that in God himself. I want to remind you this, this afternoon of the servant Moses. Moses had a huge task. He had a desperate need to know God, to see God. Think of your own challenges in life and how you long to see the very presence of God to strengthen you according to your tasks. Moses' word, please, please show me your glory. He was desperate not to head into that wilderness any further without the the glorious uh, presence uh, of God. Listen to what God, how God responded. If you cannot see my face, no one can see me and live. What a disappointment that must have been to Moses. And yet God blessed him. God blessed him. God found here is a rock, a rock that is split, a rock that has a little cleft in it. I will fit you in that cleft. I will cover you with my hand and I will walk past you and you may glimpse a glimpse at, at my at my my back as I walk away from you getting a glimpse of the back of God. Uh, in cha- the next chapter we see a description of what Moses would have seen, what Moses would have perceived if he saw God clearly and directly. This is the God who we long for because he is lovely. Listen to these words. The Lord Lord proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord your God, a merciful God, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. A God who is holy and righteous and always is so in our Lord Jesus Christ. When we get a glimpse of this God, we need no longer to be jealous of the birds who are nesting in the temple, of whom the psalmist was jealous for we see the face of God 
in Jesus, who is the dwelling place of the Lord, the new temple. Paul puts it this way for us. Now we see the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now we see the glory of Christ, the image of God. God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We are captivated with the view of God. We long to be in His presence and we long at this time to behold, even through eyes of faith, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to think for a few moments, for a few moments of the loveliness of Jesus. Uh, John Bunyan uh, shows us the loveliness of Christ in a book that he has written, Come and Welcome uh, to, uh, to Jesus Christ. Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ. It is an exposition of one verse of Scripture, John uh, 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And, and the bulk of that, of that book is, is centered on this last phrase, I will in no wise cast out. I want you to see the loveliness of Jesus. In no wise will I cast him out. That's a strange phrase for us. It was a way that was in the 17th century that, that really was, was conveying this idea. I most certainly, I, I will most certainly never, ever cast him out. Most certainly, never, ever cast him out. You see, we can be suspicious of Jesus' heart. And we can have a vague sense that he will tire of us. And we can feel so undeserving and fearful that he cannot be as good and as lovely as we even see in the Scripture. But consider this phrase, Whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Uh, Dane Ortland um, answers real, or teases out really our natural fears as we consider this invitation to see the loveliness of Christ right where we are in our lives and our with our set of, of circumstances. And I want to I want to, uh, to 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 read a section from a recent book of Dane Ortland and and to to see how how we may grow in our appropriating, seeing and appropriating the loveliness of Jesus. Bunyan understands us and he knows that we tend to deflect Christ's assurances. In our own hearts, we do this. Listen to this dialogue and and see if if you fit in to this dialogue. No, wait, we say, cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds. You know most of it, sure, certainly more than what others do, others see, but there's perversity down inside me that is hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past, it's my present too. I understand. 
But I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. There's only one kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavy and heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed towards others. They're against you. Then I am the one most seated, most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll be fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never, ever cast out. Jesus' heart is lovely. And it answers all of our objections and relieves all of our suspicions. It strikes me that God in this passage is also identified as the living God. What is the purpose of that? Why would it be pointed out that the God, He is the living God? He is not an impersonal force. He is neither remote nor distant, but He is close by and He draws us close to Himself. He is the living God, alive to meet your particular weakness and to address your particular rebellion. He is a lovely God, a lovely Savior, in whom our hearts, our flesh and our our hearts, uh, sing for joy to this living God. Think Think of where we are, many of us, in these days, these difficult, particularly difficult days. How does a child face the effects of COVID-19? How does a child deal with the isolation and in the fear? In, in his heart, there is this question, am I going to be okay? In her heart is the nagging suspicion, I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to be okay. Adults and parents, as we face the chaos in our lives and the lives of others for whom we care, there can be, we can be filled with anger and depressed and we too can ask the question, will I be okay? Seniors who may be in retirement now or soon to be entering into retirement, am I going to be okay? And this is a call. As we have been singing today and as we have read these psalms today, this is a call to fill your heart with nothing less than God himself. Are you today without hope? Listen to the words of Jesus. I will never, ever cast you out. Do you see mostly your failures and feel overcome by them? I will never, ever reject you. Do you have concern for for your future? I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. We are beholding the lovely face of Jesus. We are beholding and delighting in the living God whose strength and whose mercy is calibrated to meet us precisely where we are and precisely how we need Him. To the follower of God, Jesus would go on to say, My Father will love Him And we will come to Him and make our home with Him. 
We have a longing for that temple, for that dwelling place of God, and yet the Scripture says that God already dwells within us, and we with Him. He has made and is making His home with us. Yes, we long to see Him face to face, to be at home with Him, and to sing of Him on our journey heavenward. But we have Him now too. And He will never leave you or forsake you. He will meet you. He will meet you. He will meet your children. We have a lovely God. We have a living God. And so therefore we can be satisfied even on our journey, our desert journey to glory. Now clearly the the original hearers and original singers of this psalm would be thinking most of all that they were on pilgrimage to Zion. They would recognize that as they would sing this during their their uh, during their regular worship, but then also on their on their feast journeys uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, they they these highways to Zion were in their own hearts. They knew the way. They knew the journey. They knew each each turn in the road. They knew the places where they could could rest. The highways were in their hearts as they were pursuing their relationship with God, moving towards Him to heaven in, in, in Mount Zion and ultimately in heaven itself. And we may say as well that the highways uh, to heaven, to Zion, where the Lord is, those highways is, are in our hearts as well. We know that. We know that we sense that because we are no longer fully at home here. We know that our citizenship is in the heavenly Zion and we long to be there with our lovely Jesus. We too can say, the highways to Zion are in our hearts. And we need to remember that because so often in the course of our journey there, it is hard. There are stretches of dryness. There are stretches of wilderness And it is bleak. We may deal with personal sickness or the sickness of others that 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 seems to rob us even of hope. We may face discouragement as we deal with with the problems of our in our own hearts or the hearts of other people. We can be weary in this battle against sin sin. And there is this valley of of Baca. Uh, on that journey. That is a, that is a word that sounds like the Hebrew word for weeping, and, and it really is, is denoting a place of dryness, uh, in the wilderness where only a balsam tree could live. And so it is that some grow suspicious of God in those dry and hard places on their journey, feeling alone, feeling remote from God, distant from God, losing a sight of His loveliness that He is the living God there with them. But some, and listen to this encouragement, some make it a place of springs. Some on their journey uh, through the wilderness to the desert are able to make it a place of springs. A place where there is an oasis of refreshment. uh, Where the early rain uh, also covers it with pools. Think of this. Think, think of your afflictions that actually draw you closer 
to God and deepen your thirst for Him. Your afflictions which can create a a stronger pull for home than you would have without them. Jeremiah Burroughs puts it this way, that no soul shall ever come to heaven, but the soul which has heaven come to it first. And in our journey, we experience something of that presence of God for which we long and will one day fully satisfy our hearts. And in those desert spots, we are refreshed by the living water. We are refreshed by heaven's bread. Just a few songs before, uh, psalms before, in Psalm 81, we, we came across this, this wonderful phrase that, that surfaces again in, in the idea right here, and that is honey from the rock. Honey from the rock. The rocks remind us that we're not in heaven as if we needed further reminder. And the honey speaks of the gentleness of our Savior whose presence and loveliness lightens our eyes with his presence, with his sweetness. As Isaac Watts uh, writes in one of his hymns, the hill of Zion yields a thousand sacred sweets before we reach the heavenly fields or walk the golden streets. In our journey, there is ample opportunity to taste of the Lord Jesus, to come to know him more, more deeply and intimately as our lovely Jesus and our living God. One thing I, would, I want to ask you to do as we consider this portion of the psalm is to mark your points of suffering. To look back in your own personal history, those times which, which you have experienced particular difficulty. Perhaps you have been the, the, the subject of some injustice. Perhaps you have been unfairly treated by another person, spoken, uh, spoken of in an in a, uh, inappropriate way. Uh, perhaps you have been sinned against. Perhaps someone close to you has been hurt very, very badly. Perhaps you've experienced rejection. Perhaps you have suffered as a result of your own, let's be honest, stupidity and pride. You've suffered as well as sinned. But I want you to look back at those hard times when God met you in astounding ways. And you experienced, you tasted that honey from the rock. When you were able to experience, you were able to make those desert places a place of springs and an oasis of refreshment. Mark those times. Those times when you tasted that living water in the desert. Write it down in your journal. Mark them in your heart. Talk about them with one another. Remember your history. Remember how God dealt with you. And you see an amazing thing that then it shows up in this in verse 7 of this text. They go from strength to strength. They continue in the wilderness. They continue in the desert. But there were moments when in their weakness they encountered the strength of God in precious ways 
And they remember strength here and strength here and strength here, which enables you to continue in perseverance on that heavenward journey as those highways to heaven are drawing you and luring you and bringing you into the very presence of God. And you go from strength to strength, from here to glory. We have, we have spoken of, of, of longing, our, our, our longing for God, who is a lovely God and a living God. We have spoken of, of a God who meets us on our journey and refreshes our hearts on the journey. And when we have tasted so of Jesus, uh, we are able then uh, to be content here, now, and into our future. As one of the hymn writers puts it, we can be content with a little space. We can be humble and content with a little space. And, and the theme of this section of the psalm is that your uh, low position with God is better than luxury without him. Your low position with God is better than luxury or riches without him. Um, what really uh, does the world have to offer? A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd much rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wickedness, tents of wickedness. I have found, and perhaps you have too, that the longer you are on this journey, the less powerful the distraction, the less seductive the distractions and attractions of this world. The longer you're on the journey, the, the, the easier the more natural it is to look forward. Psalm 73 settles into our hearts, and I think this is both a discipline and a gift. It's a discipline that we practice, but it's also a gift that the Holy Spirit cements into our hearts and into our minds. Who am I in heaven but you? And being with you, I desire nothing uh, on this earth besides you. How can you be a doorkeeper in the house of God? Let's make it very simple, make it very practical. How can we be a doorkeeper in God's house? A humble life of living, of serving God here in this temple. Uh, we are the dwelling place of God. Um, this is a new, a new temple, not made of bricks and mortar, but made of people, fit together, nurtured and fit together by the Holy Spirit to make this building a place where we worship the Lord together. And we are called to love these people, these people. We are called to serve these people. And we are able, in humility, to be faithful in small tasks, in serving what Francis Schaeffer says, there are no little people, there are no ordinary people. We serve and we love no ordinary people, but people who are also on that way to heaven. But it's a humble work, isn't it? I wrapped up the, uh, the Confessing Christ class this week with my uh, four young friends. And in the course of that, I, I asked the question, um, how is it that you have served the church family in, in your relatively young life? How is it that you have, have served? They, they looked at me, they wondered, they, they were thinking, they were thinking but not really coming up with anything. But the more we, we sort of talked, about, talked it out, uh, there, was, there were ways in which each one of those four young people uh, had, had been and continues to be plugged into the ministry 
whether it's in, in, in music ministry or whether it is working outside on the property, whether it is serving in the kitchen, whether it is simply helping others out with their parents, each one, each one plugged in. And I was just so happy. I was so thankful to see that. There, there was a, almost a self-forgetfulness for those tasks that they had each one been involved in. And an enjoyment in serving others. Find that as you are now away from perhaps some of the normal service that you do at Faith Church here. Consider as you as you as you now contemplate re-entry and and ramping up your engagement with other people. Are there changes that you believe the Lord may be calling you to make in your caring? for other people, in your involvement, in in tasks for the good of others. It is no small thing to serve uh, in the house of God. Let, Let me conclude, though, with verse 11. For the Lord God is the sun and the shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk up rightly. Perhaps you are sitting there right now thinking, oh, really? This sounds like an exaggeration. No good thing does he withhold. Let me try to respond to that sense of exaggeration that you might have. Um, There is nothing that will do you good that God will or has withheld. Nothing that will do you good. There is nothing that is richer, more fulfilling uh, than experiencing, than tasting the preciousness of God, enabling you to serve Him in whatever space He has called you to. It is a promise for those who walk uprightly, not that they have arrived at perfection, but they have learned to trust in the lovely, living Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 11, I think, helps us to see that, that even fathers who are evil give good gifts to their children. That's his premise. And what follows from that, then, is how much more. An argument from the lesser to the greater. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There it is, isn't it? There it is, the gift of God, exactly what you need today more than anything else. Um, I'm not sure whether you caught this or not, but a a Bible teacher uh, that I have loved and followed uh, since college days, J.I. Packer, um, ended his journey um, on this past Friday at age 93. Um, he, if you if you look on a Twitter account, you'll see countless things written about him these days. And I was reminded of Carl Truman had had written an article that reminded me of something that had meant so much to me many many years ago, and has really shaped my life and perspective since then. These are this is a perspective from J.I. Packer. Um, he, he draws this illustration. He, he says, if you if you see a, at nighttime, if you see a beautiful building or a beautiful home on a nice spacious lawn, 
and you, your eyes are riveted to it as the, the floodlights that are hidden there in the shrubberies in front, as those floodlights just, just light up the structure and draw attention to the beauty of the architecture, you don't drive by that house and say, oh my, what beautiful floodlights are on that house. You, you drive by and you say, what a wonderful, what a beautiful home that is. And the scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit shines as a beam of light on the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would behold his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And that we would say, therefore, what a lovely Savior we have. What a lovely living Savior we have. And that's the the view of Jesus, illumined by the Holy Spirit, that enables us to persevere from strength to strength in this journey that we're on. Uh, one of the, the prayer that I open up uh, each day with these days is, is, Father, thank you for the grace that has preserved my life to this moment. Thank you for the grace that has preserved my life, enabling me to, to behold the beauty of my Savior, having given the gift of the Holy Spirit that draws us to celebrate Him on our journey. And so it is, all along the way, we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ drawing us home until we see Him finally on that day face to face. Let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, precious Father and Holy Spirit, Carry us along the way, we pray, to glory. May the highways to Zion, the highways to heaven, um, run in our hearts. And may these psalms, may this psalm, um, shepherd our hearts with the very presence of Jesus, our lovely Savior, along the way. Lord, where there are particular needs, where there is particular longing, particular pain, darkness, wilderness, where any of our number may be, um, may be walking right now. Holy Spirit, glorify the beauty of Jesus in their hearts. Glorify the comfort of the Father in their hearts. We pray these things for others. We pray these things for ourselves. We pray these things for our children, for our friends. In the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.